Uh, good evening, dear listener, wherever you are in the world, and no matter what state of mind you're in when you're listening to this, this is The Podding Shed, a meandering journey into the minds of people who should have better things to do in life, but still spend inordinate amounts of time analysing, criticising, pondering and fretting over Chelsea FC. This is episode 86, and it's been, well, uh, amazing enough, it's been just a week since the Halod Pass podcast, which surely has to be some sort of record, considering that uh, we pod when we want. Um, but what a week it was. Um, we finally wrapped things up with a hard-fought win against the rough-and-tumble West Bromwich Albion, um, uh, led by Tony Pulis, a side who always seemed hell-bent on beating us, and yet... Un- unwitting, uh, no, sorry, wittingly, they seem to roll over in front of so many other top six teams, but us, they seem to want to put up a fight against. Um, and it has been, of course, a graveyard of uh, of several Chelsea managers, I believe, up at the Hawthorns. Um, maybe their grudge against us is because they think we stole Liquidator or something like that. Um, then we had the fun of Watford at home as champions and were treated to some of the best pub football seen on a Monday night interspersed with moments of brilliance. It was Keystone Cops blended with Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, this episode is as yet untitled, but of course our dear leader Nick will cast his expert eye and ear across the recording and undoubtedly pluck a title relating to something exciting, entertaining, educational, endearing or even faintly enjoyable from the verbal discourse of the next hour. Uh, so cracking on, just like the first team, I'm going to introduce the panel that we have for you tonight, starting with me, of course, my name is Tony Glover, um, also better known by my Twitter handle of at UK, often to be found in the Cock Tavern pre-match, um, and yes, he's back, he's finally back, yes, after a brief sojourn into the netherworld, <coughs> where the podding shed doesn't exist, we've pulled him back via our own Stargate to his rightful place as a pillar of musical interludes and pithy comment. Donal, a.k.a. Dr. Underscore Blue Bio, welcome back. Oh, thank you very much. And it's good to hear you back. And we've got a musical interlude coming up very shortly, I'm sure. Um, we welcome back after his Stardust line debut. Um, uh, for which we got great feedback uh, and uh, we barely chatted about in the pub um, except for the comment on the fact that we really wanted Steve effing guppy to be the title of the last one um, but it's the direct and thoughtful Martin Wickham also known as Mart- at Martin underscore Wickham on Twitter good evening Martin good evening I brought champagne as well Ah, excellent. That's what I like to hear. This is a man. This is a man ready for the evening. Um, and finally, after a huge absence from the podding shed, our next guest last appeared when some ne'er do well known as Johnny Dyer at Kaiser underscore Johnny held the reins of the show. It's one of the nicest people in fandom you could wish to meet. He's the former chair of the Chelsea Supporters Trust, but he's still a very active member and co-opted to the board, as well as, in my experience, he's the Five Live fan of choice on all matters Chelsea. He's here to add wit, wisdom and experience, and of course, in the best traditions of coming on to a kind of chat show, he's here to discuss his fascinating forthcoming new book Diamonds Dynamos and Devils a book about the transformation of Chelsea Football Club under the reign of the formidable Tommy Doherty please welcome Tim Rolls aka at Tim underscore Rolls on Twitter good evening Tim and welcome back to the podding shed it's good to be back and it's good to have you back and now music maestro please just roll along and I couldn't 
blues oh, Just singing a song Just singing a song Thank you very much. He did fall off. Yeah, thank you. So he did say, yes, thank you very much. Donald there. Um, and, and what a way to... to to, to reintroduce yourself, to fight your way off the substitutes bench after a, after an absence, and to come back with a marvellous one, top of the world by Al Jolson there. Thank you very much, Donal. Shall I? Well, that was the great Dean Martin, of course. Any music aficionado would ring you up straight away and tell you that. And shall I mention the... Oh, obscure, well, oh sorry, I thought that was... Okay. Yes, go on, the obscure connection. There's an obscure connection between that song, mm-hmm. see Chelsea, who are now sitting on top of the world, and the previous winners of the Premiership, because that song plays over the credits of the 1995 film starring Ian McKellen and Robert Downey Jr., uh, Richard III, who's obviously been laid to rest recently in no finer a place than Leicester Cathedral. Ladies and gentlemen... I love an obscure fact. Thank you, you very you much. Do. And you remind me very much of uh, Dirk Gently. In, you kind of have a belief in the, you know, the interconnectedness of everything. Of course. Um, and of I think course, it's marvellous. Yes, indeed. Um, let's kick off uh, the show. Um, it's review and preview. Um, we'll start, first of all, with the week since the last podcast. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and of course, Friday night, which uh, saw me basically wearing a trough into the carpet on the house on my own watching the television, wondering whether the house insurance would um, cover uh, a replacement should I kick it in um, because I was getting so frustrated with the game. Um, but uh, it was a great night, of course. Um, there's no no spoilers in saying, of course, we won the game 1-0. Um, I'm particularly interested in the uh, experiences of, of Tim and Martin, who were actually there. Um, uh, so uh, let's kick it off. Um, let's move on. Let's, let's start with you, Tim. Um, just have a Give me your thoughts on the West Bromwich Albion game. You know, players who stood out, um, overall views. Because watching it was um, on your own was an extremely isolated, lonely, cold experience. <laughs> well, it, it was a weird one because before the game, I thought, well, you know, we all obviously were going to get the three points off those three matches, so I thought it doesn't really matter. And then you get in the ground, and it did, it did matter. And I got I got more and more tense as we didn't appear to create that much, and they were very, you know, organised and resolute at the back. Um, and I I really didn't think we were going to score. I thought it was going to be a draw, and we'd win against Watford, and, you know, we'd, we'd be OK. So it wouldn't, wasn't that tense. But it was mu- I was much more tense than I thought. So the outpouring of relief when uh, when we scored, when Batsai scored with eight minutes to go, was, was, was unbelievable, because... I, I really thought it was going to be nil all. In fact, I could actually see West Brom nicking it, which would have been such an anti-climax, especially for the people who paid 200 quid for tickets or found themselves in the West Brom end to, to have to come back on, on Monday to win it. We didn't play brilliantly, but, we, you know, we got the job done. It's not an easy place to go. They are a weird team because they always turn it on against us, especially when Shane Long used to play for them. But they always turn it on against us. And against other teams, they just lay down and die. So I don't, I don't quite get them. I think Pewdly said rev them up a bit as well. Yeah. It was certainly, you know, it was the whole thing of, you know, you're not 
you know, ruined the party a little bit, get in their faces. And it, they were kind of the same at Stamford Bridge because we are on our winning run at the time and they were the first ones to really... They played a back six last time and stifled us for <laughs> almost the same amount of time <laughs> as... Um, as then happened to the Hawthorns. But um, a quick question for you, Tim. Did you actually know who had scored the goal when it went in? Because I certainly didn't. No, no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I, I, I knew that we'd scored. I knew that... I vaguely remember Cahill missing the ball and I wasn't even sure it was asked me question who crossed it. The next thing I knew, I was sort of about four rows in front picking myself up from the floor. So it was really <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest... I didn't know until we'd left the ground and I actually read a match report on the internet while we were waiting for our cab that I realised who'd, who'd scored the goal, to be honest. My phone went off with an alert saying, Mitchie Batshaw, I scored that. Bloody <laughs> hell, it was him. <laughs> I, for some reason, I thought it was Costa. And that might have been the yeah. amount of alcohol I drank, the fact that I'd spent the five minutes after the goal went in just picking people off the floor <laughs> and trying to stay upright myself. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, chaotic in a very very good way and um the, the, the general question is who scored how did it go in and then who cares but, I mean, yeah. what, what, what i would say is that we've had problems at west brom in the past where chelsea fans standing up have been thrown out the ground I don't know where you like was where you were martin but where we were there was no attempt to make us sit down at all no, it wasn't because it would have been it would have been futile well, so yeah, I was at the middle of the away end, and I'm, my mates were down the front. At half time, they'd come up to see if there's loads of room. There wasn't, but I went down there anyway. <laughs> but, but in the end, it was it was a good atmosphere. I, I, I didn't go down to the um, concourse at half time. My days of being th- a beer thrown over me are over, hopefully. <laughs> um, but you know, it was good. And I, I, afterwards, I mean, Martin had the same issue as me. It was chaotic afterwards. They closed the station, usually back to Birmingham. Oh, so, blimey! Uh, yeah. Which yeah, and Martin was booked on the was it ten past eleven, quarter past eleven from New Street. So yeah, that's very yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when, so when you get to, when you get to New Street Station at eight minutes past eleven, and you have to do your best impression of. Oh, in my head, I thought it was like Usain Bolt. In reality, it was probably like yeah, it was probably like the opening scene from Train Spotting, where <laughs> Renton's getting chased down the road. <laughs> Slightly shorter and fatter version. But uh, no, you know that aside. It was afterwards, I mean, it wasn't as, Bolton was totally euphoric. This was still pretty good. I think Bolton, because it was the first time for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So Bolton was different, but this was, it was still, it was still pretty special. It is something I remember. As as Martin says, the fact I I wasn't sure who scored the goal was unusual, but, uh, you know, all part of the fun. You know, watching it from home, um, as I said, it was, it was, I, I mean, I'm not a great, home watcher of Chelsea anyway because I tend to be in a house that's you know full of full of women uh, that ha- have a passing interest in football and not much else and um, in a village where there's not many other people that I know that are you know, basically either football fans or let alone Chelsea fans it all tends to be pretty Portsmouth oriented around here um, and um, and I, I was watching the game and, and it's 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 so arrogant because you, you end up with a kind of god complex of thinking well if I don't watch it we will win, as if that is going to make a blind bit of bloody difference to the <laughs> to the to, to the to result. You know, I'm that important. If I don't watch it, we'll win. Um, and I was forcing myself to pretty much watch it, um, but it was be- it was getting more and more because we played quite well. You know, we in the first half we were we were definitely by far and away the team that wanted to play football, but there was just something not gelling. It was almost it was almost like watching a team. Uh, 
if, if you can imagine Sam Allardyce light, <laughs> and I know that's hard to picture, okay, um, but as, as in L-I-T-E, it was almost like watching that. They had their game plan worked out. Um, they were big old units. They were getting in our faces. They were, and it was a disruptive kind of um, tactic from them. Um, and it was just interesting because all the way through, you could definitely pretty much only hear the Chelsea fans. Um, I don't think the West Brom fans were... I don't think they were... They're not particularly anti-us or in, in any way or whatever, but the, what came across was the almost constant uh, chanting of the Chelsea fans, which which at least almost became my tenuous link to being there, if you like. Uh, I, I was, I'm virtually there because I know some of the people that are in there. Um Donal, what did you think? Did you watch it? Did you listen to it? Did you follow it on Twitter, which is the one of the worst ways of doing it, in my view, but, you know. Um, I'd, I'd say somewhere around half past 11 on Friday um, morning, I placed a call to a friend of mine, and the, the, the whole sort of tenor of the conversation was that I'm an honourable man. You're an honourable man. I arranged or we arranged to go out for a drink this evening some weeks before. And obviously circumstances have changed. I'm a Chelsea fan. You're a Tottenham fan. <laughs> oh, right. <yes. laughs> the, the, only, the, only, the only decent and an honourable thing is to offer you a way out of this. And to his eternal credit, he said, no, no, we're going out for a drink. I don't mind watching it, you know. Yeah. I, I, as far as I was concerned, we were never going to, you know, after whatever game way back, we weren't going to catch you on, you know, not in the least bit bothered. You know, I've got, I've got a free night, we'll go out. And so um, we arranged to meet in this pub, uh, which we knew we'd have football on. And then <clears throat> somewhere about half past four, I got a call, came up on my phone. I thought, ah, he's had second thoughts. He's bottled it. The pub we're meeting in, Tommy Flynn's, yeah. they've got a karaoke night. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think you're going to see much of the game. So we made oh, a dear. hurried, made a hurried um, rearrangement and agreed to meet in a pub on, on Homerton High Street. And so we met there. I was for various reasons like 15 minutes late so I missed the kickoff in the first 10 or 15 minutes and we were watching it but the sound was down and it just didn't feel right so he said should we go across the road so we went to the pub across the road and I was standing in that pub and then I was thinking I've only been in this pub to watch football once before and that was when we lost to Atletico Madrid the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the so, true football fan thinking isn't it this is the this is the, so the auspices were not. You know, <laughs> I, I thought I'd done. I thought I'd done the deal. You know, basically secured us the title by being a gentleman and offering a Tottenham fan a way out of uh, you know previous agreement. And I thought that set me up. But obviously by then I was pretty certain, a bit like Tim and various others, that we weren't going to win this. We might even lose it. And then it starts to build into, yeah, but we've got Watford at home on Monday. What could possibly go wrong there, you say to yourself? And then you think, well, you only need, you know, they're going to start feeling the pressure because really they should have killed it off tonight. 
Tottenham will beat United and then we'll start to feel the pressure and anything can happen. And then if it goes to Sunderland on the Sunday, you only need some dodgy referee to give some dodgy pills here. And so basically the title was leeching away long before <laughs> half-time as far as I was <laughs> This is great but then, stuff. <laughs> but then the sensible part of me kept thinking, hang on, you know, it's not like we're having the best of this game. They're obviously out there. They obviously want to win it. They're obviously trying. And I kept thinking, Pulis, his boys can't keep this up. You know, he's past the 70-minute mark. They're going to get leggy, blah 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 So, unusually for me, part of me, you know, there was, I, was, I was spitting through it. There was part of me that was thinking, if we don't do it tonight, we'll do it on Monday. Part of me thinking... Um, they're just going to keep battering away and the goal's going to come. And then part of me thinking, Jesus Christ, we're going to blow this, aren't we? <laughs> there you go. And so, yeah. yeah. I, I think, I, I, do you know, the way you've just described that um, is, is not dissimilar to the way I think that, you know, 98% of the Chelsea fans that I ever meet, that I get to know, um, seem to have this kind of, in, almost inherent pessimism because of uh, those of us of a certain age would probably exclude you Martin from this um, remember you know 27 pretty barren years I think and um, you, you kind of you almost put yourself into this position of st- still being scarcely out of belief. and I think it was always summed up it was only one movie film moment that's ever summed up how I think every football fan I've ever met has felt, and it's in that film Fever Pitch, um, where they're watching the, the the game, the Liverpool game, um, you know, when Arsenal needed to win two 0 I think, um, and they score first, um, and uh, the what's what's the guy's name who plays Mr. Darcy, Colin. Firth, um, yeah. and he's he's the the, the kind of uh, the the star of the, the film that is all about him, the Nick Hornby character, uh, and he he's basically just stands there apoplectic with rage and says, "Oh well, that's brilliant! You score first, so we can go and lose two one." You know that, and that's exactly <laughs> me. That's exactly me, and, and I've I've related this story so many times before. I think, but um, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Tim. But there was a time under Ancelotti. I think it was the last game of the season. It was the last game of the season against Wigan, where we had to win to make sure we won the title that year. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I was so nervous going into that game that if there really was such a thing as adult nappies you could buy in in boots, then I probably would have bought them. But I'll tell you now, Tim. I relaxed when we were six nil up with ten minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's when. That's when I, that's when I finally it was in the bag. <laughs> you say you, you say relax, but you did have a look at the watch and think there's ten minutes yet. Maybe Blow if we've got rest. seven. <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah, just get a seven. In, like, you know, indeed. Like, you know, indeed. So I'm going to move it back to you, Tim, um, before we quickly move on to the sort of uh, get a fast few comments from you because it's it's lovely to hear this kind of and I love hearing this this experience of of being away where you know we end up four rows away from everybody and you, 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 the people you were standing with are completely replaced yeah. by strangers or whatever. Um, in Tim, uh, I think uh, I think you may be roughly about the same age as me. Um, uh, uh, you don't. You, you obviously remember the Bolton one as probably the first one that you ever saw, and we've you know this is this is now our um, our fifth Premiership. Where, yeah. where, where do you think this rates on the scale of of, of those wins? I, I, I'm with you. The Bolton one was so emotional because it had been 50 years. Okay, um, my perspective on this particular title is it's 
um, pretty much the most spectacular one certainly since then because it was so unexpected after a, a season of, of comparative dross last year. Well, I think 2000, the season we, where we won it at Bolton, it was fairly obvious pretty early on in the season that we were the best team. Same the following season. Arguably, 2010 was more difficult. I think when we won Old Trafford, that was the key key result then. A couple of years ago, we weren't great after Christmas, but nor was anybody else. But this season, everyone I spoke to, and myself, I did a, 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 a preview on, you mentioned Five Live, I did a preview on Five Live, start the season, said I'd be delighted with top four. And no one picked me up on that and said, well, that's fairly negative. Well, that's, you're not being very optimistic there. Didn't, didn't see this coming at all. Two months into the season, you know, we lost to Liverpool, lost to Arsenal. And, you know, fair play. Absolutely, the manager got it right. He got it right tactically, got the right personnel, got the right motivation, everything in the team, the, the right attitude. But I, I certainly didn't see this coming um, nine months ago. I think some of the other seasons... We were clearly pre-season probably the best team. Certainly 2005-2006 we were. Yeah. I still think City could have won it two years ago. I thought United were going to win it 2010. 2004-05, if, if I'm correct, Arsenal had gone the previous season. Yes. They were the Invincibles. Yeah, yeah. they were. They so were. They, yeah. they, 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 must, the have been, they yeah. must have been favourites. But I think we, we were top for quite a lot of the, uh, of the season. But this, to me, because it's the most unexpected... In terms of the season, is the best of the five. In terms of the experience of actually winning it, I would still say 2005 is better, simply because it was a novelty to any Chelsea supporter under 60 years old. There must have been very, very few Chelsea fans in the ground at Bolton who'd seen us win the league against Wolves in 1955. Yeah, I agree. Martin, your, your view? Um, well, I was watching the 2005-2006 title wins on the TV, but um, about... Going back to you know the um, not expecting it ever to happen, I thought we'd blown it with um, Steve effing Guppy a few years <laughs> previously. <laughs> um, you think, you, can, yeah. you can swear, feel free. It, 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 as a language warning on this one, so. <laughs> now um, again, it's the, the turnaround from tenth last season, stuttering a bit early on, and then just pretty much breaking the back of the entire league in the middle part. And also, I think Tottenham actually. If it hadn't been for Tottenham, I think we could have sealed that league title by Easter. It was we were just so far ahead. Sounds like a cliche of the, the jokes about Tottenham getting a trophy for them, tr- pushing us the hardest. Yeah, yeah, putting the pressure but, um, on trophy. Yeah, yeah that's the, the putting the pressure on trophy. Um, without them doing that, I think we'd have been home and hosed weeks ago, and we'd, we'd have been watching a month of pub football. So which is could it be quite funny? Is it just Donald? Is it just a peculiarly Chelsea thing <coughs> that 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 kind of? imbues us with with pessimism you know even up to the point where it's you know even where other fans are telling you it's yours it's in the bag is it just us or do you think other teams go no i I i think i think we we all probably know individuals who support other teams who are always (laughs) exude a ridiculous confidence but i think in general i think it's probably most fans really experience the same sort of thing um I, I think you know younger younger Chelsea fans now probably wouldn't approach these things with the same level of trepidation that we do because you know for instance 
my son's 13 years old we've won the trophy five times in his lifetime so he's more used to us yeah. winning than losing yes. um, perspective isn't so, it I suppose you know I, I'm sure Leicester fans you know last year probably couldn't actually believe it was really happening until you know quite late in the season because they don't have the experience of it so yeah and and you know God help us if it does happen. You know, if Spurs do get to a title in the next couple of years, none of their fans are going to believe it until, you know, it's won and in the bag because of their recent experience, you know, not since 61 have they. So, I mean, from my perspective, uh, uh, it's interesting to hear people talk. Obviously, Bolton, I think, yeah, that, that winning it at Bolton just... A bit like the '97 Cup final, it, yeah. it, it sticks there because you know it, it had been so long. Um, I think this one, yeah, this one feels very special for for the reasons Tim's probably talked about. You know that none of us saw it coming. I think also <clears throat> the character of the manager, some of the characters in the team. It, it, I, I enjoyed Ancelotti's short reign uh, enormously. Uh, I liked him. And I like the team he built. Yes, you know, they, they, they weren't the greatest Chelsea team ever, but they, they won a double. And, you know, while, while we're sort of building up a real sense of anticipation and, you know, we're already in seventh heaven, but it, it could possibly get even better. Down there in, in, in Sunset Boulevard and, and around Hollywood, there's some very, very nervous people. Because last time Chelsea were in this situation with an Italian at the helm, a title under their belt, and heading perhaps for a double, poor old Dennis Hopper died. Oh. So <laughs> there's, there's some, you know, there's some fellas who are getting on there a bit who perhaps <laughs> overdid the uh, overdid the uh, substances when they were younger. You know, <laughs> health hasn't been all. You know, to, they 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 thought <laughs> we've survived 2016. Um, I'm good for another ten yeah. years. <laughs> news, news is filtering over yeah in that uh yeah there's an italian at chelsea again and uh <clears throat> they could be on for an hour yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there you go we are back again at the general interconnectedness of everything i think again yes, um i'm just i'm gonna i'm gonna move on uh, because obviously it was it was it was a good night uh, in in my view um i i think i echo everything that that the three of you said i think Part and parcel of one of the things I've noticed more than anything, I think this season is the fact that Antonio Conte has has changed, if you like, the aura of the club so much. Because I think there was no doubt that even the the Mourinho loyalists, of which I was one, um, and Clayton was certainly another, because of everything he'd done, everything like that. But we we couldn't, and we were probably blinking ourselves to the fact that there was a kind of toxic cloud over the club, uh, uh, you know in that last season and it was getting worse and worse and that you know that there was more and more poison sort of being spewed into that on a weekly basis um and i, I think it, it genuinely does drive some fans down i think it, it it doesn't generate a mood so then he has a little dig at the fans for the noise in the ground but the fans are thinking well i'm not really enjoying this i'm, I'm not enjoying it as much i'll get behind the team but this is the, the, the a little bit of the joy has been taken out of it and and conti has put that back to the point where i've got people at work and, and i you know i work for a company um that you know isn't big on football most of the people there are you know they're like they're sailing or they like their pilates or they like their rugby okay but 
the kind of, if you like, the working class, and I'm clicheing obviously a little bit there, um, popularity of football is, is a minority. Yeah, I don't walk into the office uh, very rarely, and none, no one in my team likes football. No one. That's a team of about nine or ten people, bar one bloke who's an Arsenal fan. But then I'd argue yeah. he probably doesn't. You're, like you're right. The anyway. first time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so to yeah, but to have the football fans that are there saying that they find it very, very difficult to dislike Chelsea whilst Conte's in charge. That's that to me is a big turnaround because you know as much as you can walk around saying nobody likes us, we don't care. I, I genuinely do care. I, I want to be kind of liked. I don't want to be or respected. You know, I don't want to be um, hated just because you know of a team I've supported for you know since 1970, 47 years. Um, and, and so that's how I kind of feel about. it. I'm going to move uh, back to you, Tim, because um, we briefly saw each other in the pub as as I saw you, Martin, on, on Monday night. Um, uh, there was a rapid evacuation of the garden when um, the, the clouds that seemed to be hovering over White Hart Lane the day before decided to park themselves over South West Six that night. Um, and, and the Watford game, and I think we were all sort of, it was quite a, you know, almost a, like a rippled sigh that went through the pub when the team was announced of nine changes. Um, how did you how did you feel about that? And, and, and you know, how did you see the game? I, I described it in the intro as. Part Keystone Cops, part Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci, because that's how it felt to me. There were some laughable moments and there were some glorious moments. Tim? Well, I mean, the team was, was no surprise, I guess. You know, I suspect you'll play a stronger team on on Sunday, but, you know, he was, he was resting people, giving other people, other people a chance. I think maybe one or two shows, they weren't as ready for the Premier League, maybe, as they, they thought they might have been. But it was, it was a bit like Keystone Cops, but we had nothing to lose. I think... Their whole team knew that their manager was going to get sacked the following day. I think that That's that was an open secret. Um, so maybe they were playing with a bit more freedom because clearly they didn't like him. There was a lot of there's clearly a lot of issues behind the scenes at Watford. But uh, you know, we'd won the league. There were some there were some fantastic pieces of play from us, and there were some some stupid defensive howlers, not least from uh, from John Terry, who looked absolutely mortified <laughs> when, he, when he did it, to be fair. Um, and was obviously still euphoric from what had happened sort of 30 seconds earlier. But, you know, if you're going to win a game 4-3, and no one wants to let in three goals, do it when you've already won the league, and it, and it, and it doesn't matter. Against the team who, to be honest, I suspect were lucky this season not to be relegated, but they weren't, and they were safe. So, yeah, seven goals, I'll take that, and... I, I think everyone enjoyed it. You'd have to be, have a heart of stone oh, yeah. to love defensive football, not to have enjoyed Monday night. You know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, it did feel a bit like party time. Martin? I reckon some of those players probably hadn't been to bed since Friday. <laughs> 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 I, I, think, I, I think the team sheet consists of right lads if you're not hung over, you're playing. Yeah. So, which is <laughs> absolutely spot on the right way to do things and celebrate properly. Um, I think it was, it was good to see... Um, Chalabar got the game because I think he of the younger players he's the one who looks most yes. ready for the ready for the step up I mean I know he didn't play much out there but I think the year he did at Napoli helped him along greatly it was the moving to another country another language and everything alongside that and he, he seems to have done in the world of good and it's also helped him working with Conte I believe yes uh, I mean I I, I I thoroughly enjoyed watching um the, the game, I, I, I just think, you know, as Tim said, I, I, that sums it up perfectly, really. If you're going to do that 4-3, uh, you know, we score, they score, we score again, you know, whatever. At 3-1, I thought perhaps the floodgates would open a little bit. Um, 
uh, they, I was I was a bit surprised. Um, I thought Chalobah, uh, Chalobah, I don't know how you pronounce it, Chalobah, um, he's, he's looked our best youngster all season, I think, in the yep. sense of coming on and, um, uh, and, and looking confident. And, and there's a, a, for me, there's a marked difference between him mm. and, and Rubens Loftus cheek in, in terms of that confidence and that, yep. that kind of swagger, I guess, you need as a first team player. Um, mm. But it was it was it was an enjoyable game of football. I think they let the fireworks off about ten seconds before the final whistle, um, which was unusual. Um, I, I want to pick out Fabregas. I think when he came on, um, whatever jitters were in the team settled immediately. Um, I think he's been masterful the last few games. Uh, I, I love it a bit. So I hope I hope we don't sell him. I think he he has got everything that Conte needs to become his. And I don't mean by style of player, but he's kind of Perlo character. Um, I I really do think that. I think any traces of Arsenal that were in him that people still seem to think of there are gone. If you saw the way he celebrated his goal, he ran over to the yeah. bit uh, right in front of where we are in the in the Matthew Harding stand, and, and it was it was Costa like in that kind of, uh, if you like that kind of raging arrogance and and and, and whatever you know anger, but pent up. Look, at, I am. This is me. I've done this for you, um, Donal. Your view. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was funny, sort of caring and not caring at the same time, you know, because <laughs> you think yeah, conceding three goals against a team who hadn't scored a goal since, um, the accession of, of Queen Victoria, <laughs> it, it just seemed, and yeah, there was sort of a bit. There were soft goals as well, but then, as Martin's pointed out, you know, if you're if you're only on the pitch because you failed the breathalyzer by less than most of the other people in the club, <laughs> you know, what, what more can we expect? And you know, they, yes, they, they all trained together. They all, but but you know, it was a sort of a bit of a new setup. Um, the, the the sort of people you wanted to do well, such as Chalaba, I think. Ake had a decent game. You know, he was perhaps at fault for, for was it the second or the yeah, third Jan goal Matt's... where 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 he should have kept Jan Matt on his on yeah. his other foot. But heck, you know, um, he did fine. And so, you know, and it wasn't that they couldn't be bothered either. I mean, it, it could have been a sort of game where they just all just stood around and did nothing. They they did they did play some decent football. Yeah. They wanted, I think they wanted to win it. There, there is this, you know, 30-game um, record up for grabs, which I think is still there in their yes. in their minds, you know, and it would be it would be a good thing to get. I mean, when you think of it, to win 30 games in a season, so that's only eight games that you didn't win. Yeah, win. yeah. That's, that's phenomenal going. It's it really break, is. It's, I think it's breaking our own record as well, isn't it? I think there's one we set... Yes, I mean there's, there is talk that, that Conte wants it because it gives him one over on Mourinho. I, I don't think I'm not sure that that's yeah. really the case. I think it's just if there's a record there that you can take, why not take it? Yeah, you know, indeed. Keep winning. There's still a cup final, you know, and Arsenal aren't going to roll, roll over. So it's that thing of let's keep the winning habit going and hopefully defend a bit better at Wembley. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was good to. To see them, to see some of the the, the younger players out there, yeah. and uh, you know, for people to be able to watch a game of football and perhaps not care too much and just yeah. enjoy, just enjoy that sort of. It came so soon after the 
after Friday night, it gave, obviously I wasn't there for various reasons, but it gave people a chance to turn yeah. up and just, you know, relax and enjoy it. John Terry, I assume he'll still get some minutes on Sunday, but, you know, it was a chance to to see him for maybe the last time or penultimate time in a Chelsea yeah. shirt. So. Yeah. I did. I did wonder. That was that was actually before we move on to to part two and to to talk uh, and and for Tim to talk about the book and for us to ask questions or whatever. Um, I I share the car with two or three other people on the way home, and um, it, we were all in agreement that we probably saw uh, enough on against Watford, and it's probably been a bit unfair as as to why John Terry is probably hanging his boots up. I think. Uh, he, he was kind of left standing a couple of times. I think as intelligent a footballer as you, mm. as, as he is, um, I, I do wonder whether that was his Gary Neville in the toilets at West Brom moment. Um, I, I guess you all know which I'm referring to here, do you? Yeah, he got left on his arse by who he thought was an average yes. player. But that's enough. Or and that's like it. That. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he sort of had the moment in the toilets and, and just said he knew that that was his last game. Um, and of course, JT won't be his last game. He's bound to get some time, if not start, on on Sunday. And 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 I, I I'm so, sorry, quite, sorry I'm quite... Tony. Can I just can you just um, you and Martin are talking away about this incident, and it's not something I know about. Right. But from what I understand, you said he had this moment in the toilet, and Martin said he was beaten by someone. <laughs> you know, so was was he? Was he sort of heading towards the only free urinal that wasn't? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, Gary Neville, spilled, you know, or blocked yeah, or whatever. G- Gary and some Neville, young nipper just got in between him, <laughs> yeah. and, and he ended up wetting himself. Was, that's, that that's, what that's what happens to me after the games. Um, basically, I, I think he, you know they came off at half time, uh, and Gary Neville had been basically run ragged by by several of the youngsters at West Ham, and off he went to let nature take its course. And it was while he was in that moment thinking oh my god uh, that's the end of it basically um, and I think that's what it was now uh, I'm everyone actually, does their best thinking on the yeah, car yeah they do and I think we've lost somebody I'm trying to think who it is it's Tim you're still there aren't you yeah, I'm here yeah. Yeah. so it's Donald that's gone it's Donald who's dropped off I think he's probably just had a bit of a broadband I'll keep an eye out for when it's green and we will move on and I'll explain to him if necessary in the pub on Sunday uh, what it was Um, we'll move on now to talk about um, your book Tim Um, uh, I've I've already uh, joined the crowdfunding um, the the, the pledge for it Um, it's called Diamonds, Dynamos and Devils um, and it is about the Tommy Doherty era at Chelsea Football Club which actually predates my support certainly predates Martin's I suspect Donal may have a vague memory of it um, but uh, it's it's well in, you know ingrained in Chelsea history um, uh, and from my perspective most of it's anecdotal um, uh, as to why that is you know why it was such a, 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 a period in, in Chelsea's time of, of change, of, uh, of uh, I don't want to use the word transformation, but I guess that's the only one I can really think of here. Um, so over to you, Tim. Right. Um, the book is about, as, as, as Tony says, about the six years Tommy Dobson was manager of Chelsea, 1961 to 67. I, I first watched Chelsea three weeks before Doherty left the club. So my first game was September 67 against Stoke. So I don't remember the whole era. 
I've always been interested in it. You know, first player I saw score was Bobby Tambling. He came through that era. John Hollins came through it. Terry Venables. All these names I remember from the from from the mid sixties. But what crystallised it for me really was a couple of things. One, talking to Rick Glanville and Mark Worrell and realising that nobody had written a book about the period. And secondly, the more I read about it, the more interested I got. Because if we backtrack to 1955, Chelsea won the league under Ted Drake. And that team broke up. Roy Bentley, Stan Williams had gone within a couple of years. And they weren't replaced. Chelsea had Jimmy Greaves scoring 30 goals a season. And a bunch of people who either didn't care or weren't good enough. And Chelsea finished sort of 15th, 16th, 17th till 1961. Um, and... In 1961, they didn't have a coach. Their training consisted of a few laps of the dog track and a five-a-side game in the Cub car park that had to finish at 12 o'clock because the dog trainers were, were had the ground from 12 o'clock because Chelsea shared the, the ground with a with the Greyhound company. Um, so Doherty, they decided they needed a coach. Doherty came in and introduced, shall we say, a more rigorous training regime. He fell out with all the old players apart from one or two. And anyway, six months later, Drake got sacked after they'd lost the crew in the uh, in the League Cup, I think. And he, Doherty got offered the job as a caretaker. And he was told that he didn't have any money. But what he did have was a load of really good young players, some of whom had played under um, Drake. And these included Peter Bonetti, Terry Venables, Barry Bridges, Burt Murray... Um, Ron Harris was coming through. There were there were a whole host of them. That you know, Bobby Tambling. There was there were six or seven young players ready to play first team football. Ken Shellato. So Doherty basically, his view was he looked at the professionals he had. He had the Sillett brothers who'd been around the club for decades and were friends with Ted Drake and their dad knew Ted Drake. So they were always first choice. And, and I met. I was lucky enough to meet Doherty last month. And he tells the story, and I'm sure he's told it before, and he'll tell it again. But he said, what have the Queen Mary and uh, a pint of milk got in common? They both turn quicker than the Sillip brothers. Who was replaced by Peter Bonetti, Reg Matthews, who he called Crocus, because he only came out once a year. <laughs> And he, he went through the team. He had a bloke called Mel Scott. and He, he called him in after training and said, look, Mel, you don't appear to be putting much work in. He said, no, boss, I, I don't like to train very hard. I like to save my energy for Saturday. Never picked again. <laughs> there was another bloke who called in, told what was, the, what was his problem. He said, well, I don't like you, Mr. Doherty. He said, well, I'm not here to be liked. And he sold him. So, you know, he went through the team, cleared out all the people that, that weren't up to it. Ended up with a team with eight youngsters. John Mortimer was experienced. Frank Blunston was experienced. And, and that was it. They got relegated because, basically, they, they when Doherty took over, they were bottom and they stayed bottom. They were, the following season, they were in Division 2. They were top of the league by miles at Christmas. We had the, the awful winter of 62-63. Chelsea came back after sort of six weeks off. Couldn't win a game, lost five away games on the spin, and got promoted. They had to win their penultimate game at Sunderland, and if Sunderland had got a point, then Sunderland would have gone up. Chelsea won that, and then had to beat Portsmouth in the last game, and won 7-0. So, 
he, he got them promoted. He, he did this with a team of, of youngsters. And what he also did, um, he, he, he brought in a couple of very cheap but per- perfectly players for the system he wanted to play. He wanted to play with overlapping fullbacks. He had Ken Shellato, and he bought a man we may talk about a bit later. He bought Eddie McCready for £5,000 from East Sterling in uh, May 62. He went to watch an Arbroath player and came away having signed McCready because he wanted to play two overlapping fullbacks. He bought Marvin Hinton for 30000 from cool. Charlton because Marvin Hinton could play sweeper because he wanted to play a sweeper. So... The team continued, 63-64, they came fifth. Following season, they came third in the league, won the League Cup and got knocked out of the FA Cup in semi-final. And and frankly, they should probably have won the league that season, but there were the, the team froze in a couple of big games and in the end, they, they, they underachieved that season. There's also... The, probably the most famous incident under Doherty, and there were plenty of incidents, was the Blackpool incident, where the team went, or eight, eight members of the team went out for a drink two yeah. days before against Burnley. Um, they were supposed to be back for 11. They were back a fair bit later. Doherty was waiting up for them, gave them all rail tickets, and sent them home. Um, huh, yeah, all I over remember this. And this is when football was never, never on the front pages. And I've done the research and paper. All, every paper carried the story. He dropped all of them. The, 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 the fallacy is that Chelsea would have won the league if they hadn't if they hadn't right. sent them home. They'd yeah. already blown the league by then because they'd lost at home to Forest, lost at Liverpool, and lost four 0 at Man United. But he fell out, and the ring he saw the ringleader as Terry Venables. He always saw Venables as the ringleader. Uh, Barry Bridges, um, Bert Murray. And George Graham, and they they all left within eighteen months. They didn't go straight away, but he never rebuilt his trust with them. He he now regrets doing it. He, he admits that he took it took it too far. Every other club would have hushed it up and sort of just dealt with it and fined him a couple of weeks' wages. But Doherty couldn't help himself, and you know that that was a that was probably the turning point in terms of his relationship with the players. Because the, the thing about Doherty was he's a very passionate Scotsman. Uh, he was his, his idol was probably Bill Shankly of Liverpool, but he was very different from the more dour, quiet people like Bill Nicholson and Harry Catterick at Spurs and Everton. He was, you know, he wore his heart on his sleeve. He was a brilliant, brilliant for the press because he always had a quote. Um, and that was a, probably the season they should have won probably should have won the league that season. The FA Cup against Liverpool, again, lost 2-0 in the semi-final. Went into the following season. They were in the Fairs Cup, which is the precursor of the UEFA, UEFA League, UEFA Cup, sorry, in the Europa League. Mm. Got to the semi-final of that, beat Milan, beat Roma, got knocked out by Barcelona in, in, in a playoff. They came fifth in the league, got to an FA Cup semi-final, lost to Sheffield Wednesday, and Doherty came straight at, out of the dressing room after the game, went to a press conference and said, that's it, I'm breaking the team up. Within a month, he'd sold Bridges and Venables. Murray went that summer. Graham went early the following season. And what he did do was he he brought in Charlie Cook, who I think is probably the most skillful player I've ever seen in a Chelsea shirt. And he also brought through Peter Osgood that season. What he did is he he decided that Osgood was a, was had the talent that he needed 
and he, he told him and told the press that I'm bringing. He, he gave him his debut, and then a week later, he basically said, "Osgood's in, and he's in for ten games. He's got a chance to prove himself." So, the current centre forward when Osgood came in was Barry Bridges. He was also England's centre forward. So, so Bridges gets dropped, and Chelsea play at Sheffield United. Bridges was so popular with the, with the support that Mick Greenaway, who some some listeners will have heard of, who was a sort of legendary zigzagger man, he organised a march in Sheffield. He organised a 500-strong petition. And when the team got back to St Pancras after the game, the, the supporters who'd gone to the game mobbed the directors, gave them the petition, mobbed Doherty and mobbed Bridges. And Bridges was so overcome with this that he withdrew his, his transfer request. And that... <coughs> people talk about supporters in those days just taking what the club gave me. It's the first case I can find of supporter power actually influencing a club's a club's decision. I'm not aware of any club of anything like that happening before. So we get to 66 and Doherty's fallen out with the the um, some of the players. He's getting the press are starting to ask questions about what's going on. And then the, very sadly uh, Joe Mears who was the chairman who was Brian Mears his father he died suddenly in the summer of 66, and a bloke took over called Bill Pratt. And the fact that the shed used to sing, our chairman is a Pratt, gives you some idea of how popular, <laughs> <laughs> how popular Mr Pratt was. With uh-huh. support. And he fell out with Doherty endlessly about ticket allocations for players, about transfers, about you know everything. And Chelsea reached the cup final in 1967. Everyone else, it would have been a moment of celebration. With the, the Chelsea board decided that if Chelsea lost, the bonus would only be 50 quid. They decided that they were only going to get 20 tickets for the game where the Spurs players got 100. And, you know, they, they started basically messing about, Doherty about. And I think, and I say this in the book, I think they were trying to provoke him to resign. He didn't. But early the following season, there were events in a summer tour in Bermuda where he... You'll never get to the bottom of exactly what was said, but he was abusive to two referees in two different matches. Quite very abusive. And there was an FA investigation. He got banned for 28 days and Chelsea sacked him. So he'd, he'd been there six years. He built probably two good teams. And he, it's just that he, he was so, um, passionate. That the board decided they wanted a much calmer replacement, so they got Dave Sexton. Dave in, Sexton, right? Yeah, who was certainly so. And you know, and the thing about Doherty was that people forget is that he had to make a transfer surplus every season. In six years, he made a hundred and fifty thousand pounds surplus. When every other club, every other top club, was 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 overspending on transfers, and the players that he built after he left raised another half million pounds. So he he did, you know, what he did for the club in terms of providing financial support to the club. I think is, and again, I bring this out in the book. He's probably underestimated when he he built a surplus of one hundred and fifty thousand at the same time as Spurs were running up a deficit of four hundred thousand. So were Everton, so were Liverpool, because they had the money and uh, and Chelsea didn't. But I think the key thing with him, he he, he was tactically brave. He was brave bringing the kids in. He probably stayed at the club too long, six years, for a man like him, who lasted three years at Man United, four years at Man United, three years with Scotland. He's probably a bit of a Mourinho character in that he's not someone who'd necessarily want around for that long. But he was... 
when, when he took over, the club were a joke. And when he left, that they were one of the top four clubs in England. He'd sorted out the training. He introduced the smart kits of the mid-60s. He was the first manager to organise open days for the supporters. He did a, a, an awful lot. And I think pre him, I know we won the league in, in 55, pre him, Chelsea were a backwater club. Post him, they were a top club, at least until obviously the relegation in 75. But, you know, without him, if they got someone less charismatic, less forceful, I suspect Chelsea would have been relegated in 62, but wouldn't have come back up. And who knows what would have happened. So what I've, what I've done, basically, is I've done the... I did the newspaper research, the book research, wrote the book. The landlord of the um, Duke of Edinburgh pub in Ascot, Nick, Nick Till, got contact with Doc, said, did I want to talk to him? So I rang him up. He was happy for me to go over there the day after we played Man United. Interviewed him, I thought, for an hour. It was actually three hours. And the interview's in the book. There's nothing massively revelatory because he's, you know, he's been interviewed so many times. But he still, he still clearly loves Chelsea. He's still in touch with Ron Harris. He's still in touch with Christine Matthews, who's the ex-club secretary. And he loves Chelsea. Chelsea have always looked after him. They send him a hamper. If he wants tickets, they sort out tickets. And, you know, he, he just loves the club. And I, he obviously bitterly regrets the way that it all ended. And he regrets getting rid of Venables and Bridges and what have you. But, you know, he, he's, a, he's a great football man. And he's a great, as far as I'm concerned, he's a great Chelsea man. Wow. Um, it, uh, yeah, I, I was gonna, I saw some questions sort of lined up for you, Tim, there, but that was a, that was a, a, a brilliant oh. overview. I mean, it's just made me even more chuffed that I've pledged, you know, pledged, uh, <laughs> pledged for a copy of the book, actually, because I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And it's a bit of an eye opener for me as well, because, um, I came in when Dave Sexton was in charge. Okay. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it, I sort of documented the story well. At school, everybody wanted Leeds to win. God knows why. We lived in Hayes in Middlesex, um, <laughs> but it was it was it was something to do with the play on the word Leeds. I think we were primary school kids, and you know they they have a, 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 an odd way of thinking. Um, and I came home and I just said to my dad, I don't know, I don't know, it was support for the for the cup final. And I was football mad, but I hadn't attached to a team. Um, and my dad said, well, you support your local team, and that's Chelsea in this case. And not realising, actually, that, you know, how close, you know, Hayes really was, and, you know, a 207 bus or whatever, and a, 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 another bus to, to, into, into Stamford Bridge. Um, and within, a, you know, two days, my wall, bedroom wall, was plastered with pictures of Marvin Hinton, Peter Osgood, Peter Bonetti, Ian Hutchinson, and, you know, all of that, 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 that team. Um, and I was, I was really taken in by the kit, for example. Um, and, and I think I picked up from that that he, he introduced it, didn't he? Tommy Doherty, the, the all blue, did he? Yeah, yeah, he introduced yeah. the 64 5 kit because he wanted it to look more continental. He wanted the team to have a more continental approach and the club to appear, you know, less English, less long sleeved, old fashioned Arsenal. Basically, his view was if Arsenal did A, Chelsea should do B. Right. <laughs> Arsenal, was continue. Pre- Arsenal was his previous club and he hated them. So, yeah. <laughs> then he's, he's, already, he's already gone massively up in my estimation. <laughs> yeah. I, I spent the 70s um, pretty much being beaten 
mentally and physically by Arsenal people, you know, because yeah. they, they were always they were always so much uh, uh, the the kind of the better club, if you like, or the more successful club. Um, and it's interesting you pick out some of those points because the impression of Doherty, even you know, through his post Chelsea career, you know, was at Manchester United, and and he, had to, he left under a bit of a hint of a a, a kind of scandal, you know, if uh, if it was more than it was more than a hint. Totally well, it was, but I think you know, I was. That was, it was, that it was, was big front page stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I, th- I think what it was... I would say is that he's still with Mary. Yes, they've been married. They, she, you know, she was there when I met her. They're, they're a lovely lady. They're a lovely couple. Yeah, you know, I wasn't going to raise that issue, and you know, they they just seem a very, you know, they've been together forty years. So you've got to give you know, yeah. fair play to them. And yeah. I, uh, my point was, I was going to make it seem a bit harsh at the time for basically falling in love. It just seemed, you know, although at the time I'm guessing people were saying, well, you know, he's a he's a football, he's you know, famous, probably pretty well off, and and therefore he's doing what he wants. Um, well, it, it was also different times, Tony. You know that, you know. That that sort of you know thing. If you're in the public, uh, if you're in the public uh, glare, that sort of thing was would have been sort of frowned upon. And secondly, you know, you you might accept it if it's Lord so and so and you know Lady what's it. But you know, football was a working class game. It, you know, it's conservative with a small C. Yeah, Manchester Manchester think- United back then were, were associated. If I'm not mistaken, very much as a sort of not not in a in a, a real sectarian fashion, but they were considered to be a sort of a Catholic club. So that whole morality thing, I think, if if I remember, I mean, I was quite young at the time, but if I remember that that whole sort of thing was washing. It was it was a sort of uh, a morality question, really. Yeah. And yeah. you know, now we wouldn't think too much of it, but back then it was, you know, and to some extent, I think. Um, Tim writing this book has certainly reignited my interest because I sort of only started I, I started with 1967 Cup Final when I was about seven or eight and um, you know I, so I'm, I'm associating more with, with what went after that like you do with Sexton and mm, so on yeah. and to some extent almost associate Doherty more with Scotland Manchester United and so on because I was so young when he was building those teams and, and I've never really gone back and looked at where, you know, what went on before Dave Sexton. So it is a fascinating it is, listen. Yeah. And, to, and, and to think, had he kept Terry Venables, George Graham, players like that who went on to, you know, stellar careers, did he, did he ever adequately replace them? I, I don't know enough about the teams at the time, you know, whether He's or not they... Sorry, he changed the way they played because he brought Cook in. He, changed, he built the team around Cook and Ozzy. And then Ozzy yeah. broke his leg early, late 66. Yeah. And it all, all fell apart. He didn't adequately replace um, Bridges because he, he tried to buy him back. So I think he realised he'd made a, made a mistake there. Um, mm. And George Graham, I mean, he was a centre-forward with Chelsea. He got 40 goals in two years. So he was a good centre-forward for Chelsea. But he, mm. of course, at Arsenal, he became a midfield player. Yes, yeah. Dr. Yeah. said... That he was a he had problems with Venables. Venables, he called him King of the Kids because he was always telling Doherty he was disagreeing on tactics and set pieces. Mm-hmm. And Venables, and because he he was very opinionated, Venables was a very intelligent man. I think Graham was a bit like that. I think mm-hmm. the difference was Doherty could tolerate Graham, but he found Venables very yeah. difficult because you know. But they were they were good players. 
in retrospect, I wish he'd, I suspect he wished he'd kept Graham. I'm not so sure about Venables, but uh, and then they both went on to become very good managers. Yeah, they, they, they did. They strong and, characters. And yeah, you know, there, there were a few of that team did because McCreevy obviously did. Um, yeah. Ken Shellato and John yeah. Hollins all managed, also managers at Chelsea. So there's, there's yeah. quite a few of them came through, and he put that down because he had Dave Sexton's coach and the fact that they're they're coaching in the early '60s compared with other clubs was quite radical. And he thinks yeah. that they just it just piques the interest of if you like the more football aware players. Yes, yeah, that's that's interesting because of course he went to Porto, didn't he? As, as he did not for very long, but the, the thought of an English manager going overseas, you know, everyone talks about Bobby Robson, etc. But but you know, it was quite relatively groundbreaking for a, a quite a high profile yeah. manager like himself to to go abroad because of course he he like you've pointed out already had. Those, you know, continental ideas and so on. So it wasn't like someone going over there trying to import the the English way of playing football. He'd been very receptive to what was happening on the continent, hadn't he? So yeah. Well, he, the FA arranged for a couple of well-known foreign coaches to come and talk um, to English coaches, and Doherty yeah. and Sexton turned up, and he he, he he was stunned how few other clubs sent anybody. They were so insular. Yeah, yeah, in in the way that they put, and I think Doherty, to be fair, was always much more open to ideas. The, mm. the West German World Cup preparation, they played two friendlies against Chelsea because Helmut Schoen, the manager, wanted to play against a more modern style English football rather than play against the team with a big centre forward and two slow fullbacks. You know. Yeah, I think I think in some ways because of his wit uh, and his his high profile. In, in the last, say, 30 years, you know, he's done the after-dinner circuit, etc. In, in some ways, people don't, you know, as you're unearthing and, and reminding people, people have forgotten just how, you know, innovative he was as a coach and as a manager because he's, he's now got this reputation for the one-liner, for this, for that. Um, but actually, at, at the bottom, he is as you say, a, a proper football man yeah. in the, the parlance. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to, to see this book. Um, I, I must say that being on the, the potting shed is, is starting to become a bit like, you know, those, like the Folio Society or whatever they call it. You know, where you, <laughs> you sign up for one sort yeah. of ch- cheap book and you think, oh, yeah, I don't know if I'm getting that for a pound, you know. And then suddenly you find you're committed to buying book after book after <laughs> Since I've been on before I came on here, Kelvin Barker, who you obviously know well, yeah, I, I, I read I read his book. Um, I've I then read a book by Walter Otten, which obviously yeah. wasn't a football. Book. Um, I've got Clayton's one in the pipeline, which I must read, and uh, there was another one. So I'm I'm sort of heading towards my my fifth book. I, I feel I'm locked in to this. Sort of <laughs> I wonder whether it's a, a title for the Folio, yeah. the Folio Society. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chelsea Book Club. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Buy one, get one free. Yeah. Sort of thing, yeah. Uh, Martin, have you got anything specific that you wanted to? I mean, you know, Tim, you haven't mentioned about the funding model, which I think is important because there, there'll be a website which I'll tweet afterwards as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, I'm I'm doing a three, I'm trying to do three different versions of the book: a hardback one with photographs. A paperback and uh, an ebook, and the paperback and the ebook will be available in October from Amazon. But what I'm trying to do at the moment is use Kickstarter, which is a crowdfunding website, to raise 
basically five thousand pounds to produce a minimum of five thousand pounds to produce a minimum of two hundred hardback books. And for that, you get your name in the book. You get, say, it's got photos. It's got a proper slip cover. It's one hundred and forty-one thousand words. So it's not it's not a slim uh, it's a slim <laughs> book. And you know. And, and the photographs do cost because we're licensing them properly. We're not just pirating yeah. the web or whatever. You. So, I mean, and, and what, the way it works is you pledge and a, a, a single book for the UK, including postage, is £25. If I raise £5,000 or more, then the money is deducted from uh, people's credit card or debit card. If the money's not raised, then the money isn't deducted. So it's only done at the end of the campaign, which is on the 20th of, of June. So there's, there's no risk of you pledging for something that won't exist. The, the plan is that the books will come out in um, September, October. Obviously, publishing is a bit fraught with uh, unexpected delays, but that's certainly the plan. Kickstarter's the main crowdfunding um, tool. Uh, it, it's, you know, you can... You can see countless projects, that have been successful projects that have been done with it. And I chose it because it was the most well-known. It looks reliable. And it's actually very easy to uh, to pledge. Um, and if, if Tony's going to circulate the um, the Kickstarter ID. I've also got a blog with, with more about the book and more about background about Kickstarting, which is, uh, again, I suspect Tony would put up, but that's, Diamonds, Dynamos and Devils dot WordPress dot com. I've also got a Twitter account with the, with these links on, which is at Docs Diamonds. So basically, the, either of those will point you towards the um, the Kickstarter page. And it, pledging takes a, a couple of minutes. If you've not used it before, it is very simple. You get you can either set up an account with them or just go in as a guest. It's been open for eight days, and we've raised. I think three thousand, three and a half thousand pounds already. So it's looking quite promising. But you always get a burst at the start, and the trick is to just keep the momentum going. But I've got another another month, so I'm reasonably optimistic that we will reach the uh, reach the target. And as I say, that would we will then license the photos. We've got the printer lined up. Get them printed. Get them out to people. Um, and yeah, that, that's it really. I mean, it, it, it is as straightforward as that. If we don't raise five thousand, we don't do the hardback one. We just do the paperback and the uh, and the ebook. And it's worth mentioning that as someone who's had um, ghost written books bought for him at Christmas, you know, sort of um, was it Harry Harris or someone did one on Mourinho, which yeah. I felt duty bound. You know, one as it was a Christmas present, and two as it was about Mourinho way back then felt duty bound to read and uh you know it, it there's nothing in those sorts of books so you know I, I i think this is a really good thing to do you know the fact that a man can put aside his uh his love of cooking to put 141,000 <laughs> words together i find I find impressive. Thank you. Know, you. <laughs> following okay. you on Twitter, you always seem to be baking. So yes, God, yes, yes. you found the time yeah. to do this. But, yeah. you know, it, it's it's not necessarily, and I don't mean it's in any way disrespectfully, it's not professional no. writing. But I, I, having read Kelvin's book and, and various, and, you know, looking forward to Clayton's book and so on, it, it's going to be more interesting than, than these sort of ghost-written 
you know, knock it out in a week sort of yeah. thing, which, which are just hopeless. And, you know, I just don't read them anymore. It doesn't matter how much I love the person because you're not going to get anything out of it. So, Can I, can I make one point that all the authors you've talked about are published by Gate 17 Books, which is Mark Worrell, and Mark's also publishing mine. So he is he is the the go-to man for for Chelsea books and for sort of Chelsea related material. Yeah. And I, yeah, but, uh, so we, we should we shouldn't forget to Johnny Dyer and Alex Churchill and all this as well with their World War One related. No, yeah, yeah, as well. yeah. So, Yep. It, it, it's going to come to the point where I think Mark is basically going to have to buy some sort of 40-foot uh, <laughs> container carrying <laughs> lorry yeah. and just drive around to everyone's house and tip them all in. <laughs> I mean, he's got he's got two more on the go. There's the Eddie McCready one, which we may touch on in a minute, and he's also writing a review of this season, which will be out in uh, in June, I believe. So he's a very busy man, is Mark. No, well, fair play to him. Fair play yeah, to him. absolutely. He's been unbelievably helpful to me. I just wouldn't have had a clue about the production process. The you know, and he's been and, very. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, and for any any listeners who might be going on Sunday, um, who don't know who Mark uh, Mark O'Rourke is, um, he's he runs the stand that's dead opposite the entrance to Fulham Broadway Station. Yep. Walk out Absolutely. of the walk out of the Broadway where the station is, and dead opposite that, um, you'll find a stand, and there will be Marco, no doubt, standing there watching and chatting and everything. Uh, it's a lovely place to go and meet people. Actually, it's always nice to go <laughs> there for a, before yep. a pint or whatever. Yeah. Um, Tim, um, is there anything else you just want to share on this? Uh, you know, uh, I just, I just wondered whether Tommy Doherty has any thoughts on the modern game that are worth sharing, or, did, or do he you... does. <laughs> he has a number of thoughts on the modern game. He, he, Ron Harris told him that Chelsea had thirty-four players out on loan. He struggles to understand that as a as a model for developing young players. He also struggles to understand why Wayne Rooney earns £300,000 £1, a week and never plays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think the money, you know, he's not bitter, but he, he just, you know, it, it surprises him how much money is for people who, who never play. But it, it's the lack of opportunity for young players in Premier League clubs that gets him. Chelsea, Man United, Man City, Arsenal, Tottenham, you know, some of those bring the odd player through, but there's nothing consistent. Now, some of them go on to successful careers elsewhere, but he really, he struggles with that. Having brought through the young players at uh, Chelsea and at Man United, he bought Steve Coppel for 30000 Gordon Hill for about the same, brought Jerry Daly through, brought in Lou Macari when he was young. So he, he, he developed young teams and brought, brought young people in. And he sees this where they buy foreign players, teams buy foreign players for £10 million and never play them. He's, you know, he said he would love to have had that money to to speculate yeah. with, you know. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It is. Tim, it's, Tim, Tim being a, a sort of knowledgeable man, when you were talking to him, did you did you draw any sort of parallels between himself and the uh, current man in the hot seat at United? Seeing as they've that will be the third club they will have shared management of. I haven't got the exact quote in me, but he said he's a fruitcake, he's bonkers, but he's a brilliant manager. Which some people might have used to describe Doherty. Yeah, well, indeed, yes, I think he could see he could see parallels, but he said the guy wins trophies, and you have yeah. to respect that. So yeah. I think that was his over, overarching point. And he said right. a lot of the other stuff is just, you know, flim-flam, it's just noise. Yes. The key thing is he wins trophies, you know. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. Thanks, Tim. Um, we'll move on now um, 
just to the last part of the the podcast. Um, uh, I've 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 actually got the the Kickstarter web page up. I will shorten it and tweet it. Um, I'll probably be able to find the blog and everything from there, Tim. But um, uh, after we've after we've hung up, Tim, I'll just let you jot down my email address if you want me to send me the links through, and then I'll yeah. do a series of tweets. And I can do them actually under the auspices of my name and under the Podding Sheds Twitter handle as well. So. Um, we can get the message out there. Um, a quick comment from, and we'll start with Martin because he's been ever so quiet um, and patient because I'm, I suspect he's sitting there thinking, this sounds great, but I wish I was alive then or something, you know. Um, uh, sounds like a history lesson I need to read up on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and that's just a, a quick discussion on um, Sunday, really. Um, we'll leave the FA Cup, I think. We'll, 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 we'll probably cover that in, in our final pod in Shed. Um, unless you want to mention it, but Sunday, Sunderland parties and the FA Cup preview. I've written down so just a few words on what you think about Sunday. I will be in the Cock Tavern, so uh, I'll, and I will be well, drinking. Yeah, I'll, so funnily enough, so will I. Um, <laughs> it's also going to be a bit of a hair of the dog because I'm at the Eddie McCready. Oh yeah, oh, the night before. So actually, yes, let's have a quick chat about Eddie McCready because I think. Um, uh, you're, you're going, and I do envy you uh, uh, on on that. Um, it's a, quite a surprising story, but um, Eddie McCready, with, with any luck, will be making an appearance at Stamford Bridge, potentially, um, for the first time in 40 years since the day um, he was sacked. Um, any views on that? We'll start with you, Martin. Actually. And it's you can throw that in with, yeah, Sunderland and... Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise we're, we're hearing about it, because I've heard something about him having a chronic fear of flying, and then he's... Um, He's now come over this morning, so everyone who's involved in it, um, my cap is doffed. Well done. Um, with regards to the game itself, it's going to be a little bit like Monday, isn't it? We're just going to get the game over and get the trophy presentation started. I shall be drinking before and after, I suspect. Um, only other thing I want to say, a bit of a sad note, actually. I know Chelsea tried to um, invite Bradley Lowry down to the game, but unfortunately he's too yeah. sick to attend. Yeah. Um, very very oh. sad. It was. I was slightly worried about that because, um, you know, uh, uh, honourable intentions, um, and then you, 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 you know, it isn't going to take much for somebody to just tweet one stupid thing like saying Chelsea refused him or something like that. Yeah. Um, but his parents um, and the and the charity have been very quick to come out and say Chelsea did invite him down. He's sadly yeah. too sick to do it, um, and I think that thankfully because you know. Uh, that's headed. That's headed off the trolls, I think, uh, and, and so yeah. should because I think I could just see where that was going to go with some idiot fans out there, you know, uh, um, of other teams. Um, and I'm only on Twitter. Football Twitter is just a minefield for idiots. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, I'm afraid <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, Tim, any thoughts on Sunday and the FA Cup? I think Sunday, you know, it will play a reasonably strong team. It will be a bit like a testimonial game. I think it, it's fair to say that Sunderland's goalkeeper. Pickford is likely to be playing his last game for them. Defoe's obviously playing his last game. Um, most of the rest of them aren't good enough. This will be the last time most of that team play in the Premiership again. So, I mean, I would expect us to win, but but who knows? They may they may try and put on a show with Sunderland, and I think it will just it will play a reasonably strong team and warm up for the uh, the Cup final six days later. So, uh, and you know, as long as we don't get any injuries, I'm sure he's pretty clear which team he's going to play against Arsenal, but it'll just help reinforce it, I guess. Indeed. Uh, I think he's, he made it very plain um, this week, didn't he? He said he had a plan um, for the FA Cup final to make sure that you know he had the team that he wanted out there. Um, Donal? Um, I, I can't be there on Sunday, but um, hopefully we'll get to watch it. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I suppose there, there's the record of the 30, 30 wins to go for. You, you want to finish the, the, the season on a, you know, last home game on a high. But as uh, Tim and Martin have said, you never know with these sort of games. It's just going to be a joyous occasion, I think, because there, there is such a feel-good factor around, you know, watching the celebrations at, at West Brom and so on. You know, obviously, always teams always have this outpouring, but they just—I don't know—there seems to be a an extra something to this whole uh, year, uh, as as uh, we've discussed earlier. So, yeah, we, you're just crossing your fingers that there's no no injury. I mean, it got a bit silly there in the Watford game last Monday, um, you know, with one or two guys seeming to want to make some sort of point. Um, I think Prodel was one of them. You just hope that there's nothing daft like that. And that, you know, if JT plays and, you know, he's slightly late with a tackle here or there, that the referee doesn't think, yeah, this is, as I'm sure several referees, because the last couple of seasons, Reasons. he's been sent off hasn't he in what everyone thought was his last appearance for Chelsea and now they absolutely know it is the temptation will be there to be the referee who red carded him in his last game at Chelsea mm. so hopefully they'll avoid that and the only other thing missing will be um, the entertainment provided by the uh, by Ivanovic's little kid who always you know spends the uh, post-match celebrations dribbling and scoring doesn't he <laughs> yes, I seem to remember that's, that's been a feature of a couple of the, yeah. the end of season yeah. I remember and last uh, one you know, Costa and throwing confetti up and throwing it at various players children letting them throw it at him <laughs> Rather amusing sideshow while yeah, yeah. presentation was going yeah. on. I quite like it. It won't blast them with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got to say this. His, cel- I was, I was ambivalent about him leaving for China, but having seen him threaten to twat journalists with fire extinguishers and p- pouring them. Um, Gatorade into his eyes to wash out champagne, champagne. while telling someone to fuck off in the background. <laughs> give, give him a contract extension for comedy value alone. Yeah, yeah. indeed, indeed. Good, indeed, I, I, I yeah. take the view the same as everybody else. I think it's a bit of a party time. It'll be lovely because obviously I remember the last time, in fact, I remember them all um, at Stamford Bridge, and they've all been really fantastic, you know, uh, where you're actually questioning the structure of the actual ground itself when everybody starts bouncing and jumping up and down to uh, One Step Beyond and various other songs. I think uh, that the half-time beer will be uh, will, will also be fun um, uh, unless they start spraying it around in which I case... Mean, I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be Chelsea if we didn't uh, sort of try and you know, push ourselves towards ending this on a downer. And I, will, <laughs> I will say this, that this was a year, not that we thought at the beginning of the year, but looking back, this was a golden opportunity to, to, to win a title. We, we weren't in Europe. He had time to, you know, work on his squad, yeah, you know, yeah. week in, week out. And I'm not saying that I don't think we'll ever win again, but you can't help but feel next year is going to be harder purely oh, yes. because we're, we're Europe with your expectations yeah, and so yeah. on. And, you know, if we don't win another one for a, a couple of years, this could be the last big celebration in the old ground you know yes, getting to that yeah. point now where yeah. yeah this could be the last of this this could be the last of that so you know in a sort of slightly wistful not you know usual suicidal chelsea fan mode but in that sort of slightly wistful always got all right as, as dean martin said you know I'm, I'm sitting on top of the world but i'm like humpty dumpty <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, just a few p- 
parish notices then um you can pick us up on itunes usually um a day uh, or, or less than a day after um we've tweeted out the link um to, to this fine show you can also just google podinshed.com and you'll find 85 previous episodes um there is no prize if you can find 86 other than this one because obviously we have a ghost episode lurking in there somewhere um which stands in chelsea history up there almost with um Idaka johnson's ghost goal um we have uh, the Chelsea Supporters Trust plug. Um, join the trust. Tim is um, very much behind us. I've been in it since it formed as well. Uh, chance to get your voice heard by the club. It's only a fiver to become a voting member. Um, uh, if you don't want to be a voting member, then it's free. Free. That's it. Yes. Gratuit. You know, Libra. It is free of charge. Um, and you can sign up at ChelseaSupportersTrust.com uh, and then you can attend the meetings, go to the events, vote on issues that directly affect you. And it, and it is, it's a, it's a way of making sure you get your voice heard. And I think if I'm right, um, Tim, as a representative of the Chelsea Supporters Trust, was uh, had a meeting with some of the, the TV companies, didn't you, a couple of weeks ago, Tim? Yep. Which was uh, uh, with, with other Supporters Trust as well, it has to be said, you know, where, um, you know, everyone put their arms around each other to, to kind of get a voice heard with um uh, you know specifically one of the ones i've moaned to tim about and sort of offhand way you know about the the the, the rubbish scheduling of some of these games etc so um but you found it quite illuminating i think didn't you tim to go up and i, and... I did i mean we've met sky twice it's me and the lady from um, the spurs trust cat law uh, who's you know she and i have driven a lot of this stuff um, with the Football Supports Federation. We've seen Sky twice, we've seen BT. We've had a meeting with the Premier League on that particular issue, Bill Bush, who's Richard Scudamore's number two. And then we had a meeting, all the trusts send one rep to a meeting with Scudamore and his people from the Premier League two or three weeks ago, uh, discussing a range of issues, including kick-off time, safe standing and what have you. Now, the minutes for that meeting are unsurprisingly still to be produced but it should come out soon but what is interesting the tv companies realize that it's away fans that help provide the atmosphere and if, if kickoff times are, are such that people cannot get to games or cannot get back from games then that that dilutes it and they believe i think that we should do more if there are going to be anti-social times that the, that deep travel and what have you should be should be provided Premier League have a slightly different take. So what we're trying to do is get around the table with all of them together, the two TV companies, um, the, the Premier League, and hopefully the police and the whale companies. Because the other issue is works on the line, late trains being cancelled and all this nonsense. Martin Martin knows just as well as I do yeah. all this rub. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we are working. These things don't happen quickly, but we are hoping we are making some progress. And we, we've certainly heightened awareness. The next trick is to actually try and get some definite results. Brilliant. Thank you very didn't, much, Tim. Didn't Sky shoot themselves in the foot this week because they've managed to use up their allocation of games and as a consequence on the last day of the season they can only show two games. And yep. Basically, the, our game won't be shown on Sky so I'm presuming they, they cut to the presentation after yeah. one or one of the games has yep. finished. Yeah. I mean, after the the most un, uninspiring bunch of midweek games this week, I, <laughs> you know, I, I cannot for the life of me, for the life of me, understand why this show Southampton Man United yesterday. The word meaningless takes on an entirely new, you know, new meaning. It's just astonishing. So anyway, that's that's their problem. But they they are becoming more aware, I think, of the of the issues around away supporters, around away travel, and it's just a matter of 
there's two issues. One is around the fixture list when it comes out, around the midweek fixtures and travel for that. And the other one is about the rescheduled fixtures for TV yeah. in terms of the notice period and the distance. So that why have Burnley-Watford at 8 o'clock on a Monday night when no one's interested in the bloody game anyway? And, and why don't they put it on at 12 o'clock on a Saturday? Why don't they put more London derbies on? Except it might be police issues with Arsenal Spurs. More London derbies on. On Friday nights and Monday nights, or or you know Manchester derbies, Liverpool derbies, whatever, rather than having Chelsea go to Sunderland on, uh, on a Tuesday night in December, yeah. Spurs go to Sunderland at the end of January. You know, it's nonsensical. Yeah, it is, and I think we, uh, you know, I, I'm always loathe when I hear they. Oh, well, it's the way the computer does it, or whatever. But we met the bloke who does the computing. I'm not convinced about that at all. No, I, I, I think they. They've got plenty of algorithms. I'm not saying it's straightforward, but you only have to chuck a couple more algorithms in. Yes. I, I, I don't, I don't hold with that one at all. No, no, and, and I think it's because although I'm not affected by the away games one, because uh, you know, Mrs. Mrs. G's just round the corner and probably thinking you dare even start suggesting about away games apart from if Portsmouth come back up or maybe Southampton. Um, but it is the lack of notice, and it affected us for a, a holiday we had booked. You know, we we came back early for the Middlesbrough game, and then uh, you know, literally a day after booking the return ferry, they moved the game from the Saturday to Monday, and I could have had another day or two in France. And it is just it it sounds a bit pompous oh, you know, it affected your holiday but there are people who fly from yeah. other area, from other countries to games um, and then suddenly find that it's moved to a Monday and then they, they're, they're, they're due to be back at work because they were due to come in on a Saturday and fly back on a Saturday and I think it is that and I can't see any reason why uh, they can't you know can't schedule the TV games two months beforehand uh, they, they, you, you know, especially in the latter part of the season, you've got an idea of where the big games and the crucial games are going to be. You know, we're, we, we're all football fans, and even we know the big ones that are coming along, the ones that will be worth intre- uh, worth um, rescheduling perhaps for TV. So how come they can't pick that out? You know, um, and my guess is that there's some, uh, you know, internal fear about being seen to favour certain teams or or favouring the big boys or whatever it is. But uh, you know, I think it is something that that they really do need to work on. Um, I'm just going to mention that you can follow the uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust at um, uh, at Chelsea S Trust. Uh, and um, that's it really for tonight. Um, I'm going to give a big up for uh, the youth. I believe the youth. Um, one one again last week, didn't they? Isn't that the, the, the I can't remember. Is it the third year on the trot? Is it or something? Under eighteens. Um, uh, went down the pub on Friday night. Obviously after the game, into a pub full of um people who were discussing ploughs or whatever it is because we live out in the countryside. Um, and but my mate who I go down there with, Chelsea Bob, had watched the youth before, and they they rescheduled the game on Friday, I think, didn't they? Um, so that the mm. youth team could then watch the first team uh, come in. So. And once again, I mean, we've always said it before, um, we seem to have a fantastic youth system. It would be fabulous to see some of them coming through. But I have high hopes um, this, uh, you know, in the, in the forthcoming seasons when you see some of the players that um, have been given a chance under um, dear Mr. Conte this season. Um, our next pod in shape. They won the, they won the southern, southern title as well, didn't they? They won the, some, yeah. one of the EPL under 18 league titles yeah. for the South. Yeah, yeah. 
it does seem a pretty phenomenal, you know, at that level. I mean, I, I think we all know that the jump from from any, um, if you like, uh, if junior level, I, I, I don't like using that word, but any sort of um, that isn't the full first team, that is always a massive leap. You know, it is uh, you you only see you see it when teams come up from the championship, and you know the old Danny Baker thing about you know you're actually basically sacrificing three teams every year. You know, they're just they, they come up as sacrificial lambs. At least one or two of them are, and uh, I think. You when you see these young players it's a similar thing that step up into the premiership um, where you might have 10 years ago said the difference wasn't that marked but I think it is these days it very much is um, but it is good to see and I think you know, it'd be interesting to see whether we get Tammy Abrams back or whether we use him um, I think Martin might have tweeted earlier on um, you know we'll, we'll send him to Everton and buy him back for about 100 million in two years time <laughs> no that, that wasn't me wasn't it you no okay no not guilty, not guilty on this one All oh, right, okay um, it just seems to be our way um uh, I'm going to finish off, uh, just give you uh, each a minute for your last thoughts. Um, not your last thoughts ever, just your last <laughs> thoughts for the show. Um, Tim, anything you want to add in? No, just that, I mean, I think the season has been so much better than I thought it would. As I said, I, th- I would have been happy with fourth place, qualified for the Champions League, maybe a run in one of the Cups. To have won the league, to be in the FA Cup final. You know, other teams spent more than us last summer. They, they talk about... You know, Guardiola and um, Mourinho going through a period of transition. Well, people seem to forget our manager arrived the same time as they did, and he's done better than they have. So, yes. hats, hats off to him. You know? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well said, actually. Martin. So he arrived slightly later, didn't he? Because he was at the Euros. He was. So, a little bit more time. But, um, well, Spotter's last... badge for that. Spotter's badge. <laughs> <laughs> um, my last thought on that one. Um, uh, I've seen all these tables in the last week, you know, two-year tables, six-month tables, 17-game tables. Um, I just think I'm going to post on Twitter a 38-game table at the end of Sunday. So yes. We are top of that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's, all, that's all that needs to be said. I, I nearly freaked out today. I've got to tell you this. I nearly freaked out today. I was at work. It was one of those moments where I was thinking, oh, I'll just have a quick shifty at the football pages. And for whatever reason, I saw this thing about Jermaine Janus, who I, I've actually downloaded that picture of him now, and I will use it endlessly at work as well in slides and presentations you know the one where it's like you know I know Chelsea won 4-2 but you can't tell me they were a better team than Spurs that, <laughs> that fabulous moment uh, and I, I just clicked on it and it was something about you know next year he thought Tottenham would win the league but now they've gone to Wembley wasn't sure and, and I, I, I hadn't realised where I'd clicked I just happened to be halfway down and there it was uh, in full view was at the table so far of home games which of course Spurs are top by five points Okay, because they haven't lost the game at home, and I was apoplectic. I was like, "What the fuck is this about? What are you? What? What are you actually? Are you that obsessed with them that you're you're now finding? It happened to be on the Tottenham section of the BBC website, um, which calmed me down. I thought, "Oh, okay then. At least they're not putting that up on the front." Look at you, and I I, I was in mind of you know the the kind of um, bullseye. Look at what you could have won. But it, it really was, it, it was one of those moments where I'm glad I didn't tweet it because I would have been inundated with people going, don't tweet, don't ever tweet again, you know. Um, Donald, your thoughts, just a few, last thought. Um, my last thought, I suppose, appropriate, should it be uh, a, a little small musical interlude? Go on, yes, um, why not? I don't know. Uh, I think in some ways it sums up that slightly wistful, emotional feel we have towards the end of this season. It was mentioned uh, in various 
parts of the media there during the week that um, obviously we all know that uh, Antonio, you know, he has his song, which uh, he, the, 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 the home and away fans sing constantly. And there was a scene there at, uh, was it Monday night's game where this was being sung? He fe- appeared very emotional and there were photos of his wife and, and pictures of his wife uh, in tears as well. Mm. Some people obviously thought, is she in tears because she realises he's not going to come back to Italy anytime <laughs> soon? And a, bit, a bit like Mrs. Crespo, I'm going to be, I'm going to have to come over to this long-written shite hole and live here for one. But others, others amongst us, the more romantic, uh, would, would just think that she was overcome with uh, emotion at seeing the man she loves, you know, so admired and so treasured by um, a load of uh, cheapy cockney types. So um, I thought I'd just play a little, it's a sort of little southern Italian uh, romantic song the words to which I have no idea what they mean, but I, I think I, I think it's suitable, and I'll, I'll just give you a quick blast. Hopefully, you'll hear this. Away we go. <laughs> As he sits in the bath, um, his wife sitting on the edge of the bath, singing away to him as she gently washes. I, I, I don't know. Do you know I, I got local. I got local curry house from that music personally. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. sorry. No, no. <laughs> Listen, your musical oh, interludes are oh, marvellous, mate. Um, I am going to finish up there. Our, our next pod in shed um, will be will will we'll no doubt be um, <laughs> will be post season uh, when maybe maybe we will just have the double again to talk about. Um, I'm going to say good night. Um, First of all, I'm going to say goodnight uh, to, to Donal and thanks very much for making uh, such a fantastic comeback, as it were, um, you know, from, from wherever it was you went just for one episode. I, I did actually mention, I think that was the first I can ever remember you not being on. Um, oh, I think I, I did miss one one other one. I, unlike Azpilicueta, I can't right. claim to have played every minute. So <laughs> every game. But, but, uh, but you're a, a, an absolute stalwart. It's been great. Uh, Martin, once again, thanks very much. And thanks for ex- extraordinary patience um, uh, uh, listening to Tim... Um, I think for no, 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 no. I actually, yeah, cross, I've worded that incredibly crassly. What I meant, what I meant was, was as Tim, Tim was talking about an era when you know, way before Martin's time, was it's probably not quite way before yours and my time, Donald. That's what I meant was it was, it was fascinating and really, really interesting. Yeah. And, um, but fascinating like, to listen to actually, yeah, and it's great to have you on, Martin. And no doubt we'll 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 meet up and have a pint and a, and a laugh on 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 Sunday. I'm I'm aiming to be at the cock around midday. I think. 
think it's a three o'clock kickoff, um, as I yeah. recall. Um, and finally, Tim, um, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on board. Um, and you've been patient and you've listened to us waffle and go off on all sorts of weird tangents, but your, the stuff about your book was fascinating. Um, and next time, perhaps we'll bring you on to talk about how the book has gone, what your next yeah. project is, and, and, and just to get your, your wit and wisdom and experience on Chelsea in general. Thank you very much indeed, Tim. You're very, very welcome. If you can email me, send me your email, yep. I'll send you the links, yeah? Yeah, we'll do, and I'll make sure that it gets out on Twitter, and we'll do it under the podding shed and mine, and, and no doubt we'll get people retweeting. Um, thanks Brilliant. very much, chaps. Good night. Uh, I'll stop the recording there, um, and until next time, cheers, everybody. Thanks.